After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 145, the verses 1, 3, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. A very brief summary of the contents of Lord's Day 4. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. And that's what Scripture teaches. Since they, Adam and Eve, are our first parents, we acted with them in that terrible disobedience. With them, also, we wanted to be our own God. Through that rebellion against the only one and holy God, we became helpless, being unable to do His will. And we incurred God's heavy wrath deserving punishment in our life now and for eternity. And Psalm 5, as we have read, expresses that evil may not stand before God. It cannot dwell with God. Now, from the outset, I'd like you to notice that Lord's Day 4 is God-centered. It focuses on God, who is and what he does. Of course, men are involved, but the catechism is focused on God. It doesn't want to place question marks behind what he does and who he is. And so let's be very clear, our Halbert Catechism doesn't ask the questions in order to argue. No, it wants indeed to confess, to confess who God is. It's very clear that Lord's Day 4 places God in the center. Just listen to the question. But does not God do man an injustice? And will God allow such disobedience and revolt go unpunished? And is God, you see it is concerning God, who he is, what he does. In question 11, even mentions God as the most high majesty. <coughs> Yes, the overriding message of Scripture is that salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to God. It is true that in Genesis 3 we read that God came with his severe punishment on man's revolt, but he also immediately declared his saving promise. Severe punishment but his saving promise. We find it over against, time and again in Scripture. 
Dealing with Lord's Day 4, we have to keep in mind that the previous Lord's Day referred to the possibility of a renewed life. And that life will then be worked by the Holy Spirit. Finally, the following Lord's Days, Lord's Day 5 speaks about a mediator. And then in Lord's Day 6, he is mentioned. It's Jesus Christ, the Savior. Furthermore, as introductory remarks of the uh, teaching this afternoon, also where we see that Lord's Day 4 doesn't want to make us afraid for God. You know, some people like thunder and lightning preaching. And then that method focuses on an angry God. Now the threat, the emphasis on an angry God can give anxieties and even cause depression. Something actually what Martin Luther experienced. But he grew up with the image of a punishing God. There's unbalanced teaching that often mentions God's anger along with raising a finger as warning, it also can call legalism, which is doing one's utmost to please and serve God by a set of rules and regulations, by keeping them, one then feels right before God and think that he can avoid also the anger of God. Now, it is true that the references to God's wrath and punishments make us uncomfortable. If you ask around, and indeed, Lord's Day 4 is not the most popular Lord's Day. It can make us uncomfortable. Nevertheless, its truth is found throughout Scripture. God's Word often, like in Psalm 5, and also the other Psalms around it, 3, 4, 6 and 7, if you uh, read them, those psalms, they point to heavy troubles and sufferings in life. The form for baptism, as we have heard, also uses that our life here is actually a constant death. And Lord, they forward and shows why that is so. And this morning, the three young people who made public profession of faith heard then also this quote from 1 Peter 5 addressed to him that after you have suffered, it was such a, a festive moment, and yet after, then they also get to hear suffering. After you have suffered, after you have suffered a little while, then the God of all grace, God is a God of mercy. God, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. The Apostle Paul, who referred often to sin and God's judgment, you read the first chapters of Romans. He says, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, verse 17, that the children of God will suffer because of God's judgment. They will suffer, yet with Christ, they will be glorified with him. 
Beloved, in this life, the troubles do hurt. It indeed can cause anxieties when one hears about God's judgment that is behind all the troubles of life. David didn't enjoy what he had to go through. Yet as a child of God, a child of God, he called to him. There's no doubt about it that David nevertheless enjoyed God. For God was his refuge. Even more, when David experienced the consequences of God's judgment over sin on this earth, David then didn't moan. He didn't complain how unfair God was. No, as a humble child of God, he held on to the great truths about God, who he actually is. Did you sense it when we read that psalm? He called God my righteousness. The God of David's righteousness is the one who has revealed himself in Scripture. Therefore, I hope that this afternoon's service on Lord's Day 4 will get a joyful place in your life by the preaching also who God is. As his child, and this uh, service that emphasis is indeed on child, children, already a baptism, but also on children, we are a child. As God's child, beloved, each one of you may enjoy him with enthusiasm and wonder. And that's the gospel message. Look who our God is. He is our majestic God, our reliable God, and our merciful God. There are three, there are three characteristics that God is God. And we also know that he is for a full hundred percent majestic God, for a full hundred percent reliable God, and a merciful God. So our majestic God is majestic, reliable, and merciful. The congregation at the baptism of Jada, God clearly portrayed who he is. Though Jada was conceived and born in sin, God didn't turn his back on her. Now, as the Lord and King of the earth, he majestically signed off his covenant promise to her. With the baptism, he claimed her. He said, you are mine. Now, the same happened to Jada's siblings, to Lydia and to Levi, to Troy, to Rachel, and Grant, and Raylan. And the same also happened to all the children here in church. Too many to mention them all by name. And to the children also who listen to the live feed at home. God said to all of them, to the children, you are mine. And I love you. God says, 
and children after the baptism this afternoon, we praised Him for His love and His care with a beautiful hymn of loving shepherd, and that He indeed loves you, that He will do good to you. He is at the God of your life wants to give to be with you always. Even in your sleep, He watches over you. And you don't hear it only in church. Also, you hear it from your parents. They tell you what, is, what I just said. Because at your baptism, your parents promised that they will tell you about God, who He is, that He is great, and that He is good. From your mom and dad, you have learned to speak to God. And one of the first words you learned from them was that word, Amen. That word means that God truly loves and cares for you. And later on, children, when you can speak, you learn to sing and to pray, say your prayers. You heard Bible stories. And the Bible stories made you happy. And you believe. You believe that God made all things beautiful and nice. As soon then as you can sit still, your parents take you to church. And to sing and listen to the Lord. For you children, God is as real as your toys are. All that you learn and enjoy of God at home, in a church, it makes you feel as if you are sitting so close to the Lord, actually sitting in His lap, as it happened in Mark 10 in the Bible, where the Lord Jesus calls the children to themselves. He loves he loves that children come to him. Now, children, are you always nice? Are you always listening to mom and dad? Or you know, at times, you are disobedient to them. And you can be naughty. You slap your brother. Give them a kicking, a brother or sister, or you are rude to them. Then you get punished. For example, you are, sent, you are sent to your bedroom. But your parents don't stay angry if you say sorry. You know that God in heaven is doing the same. He loves to hear your prayers telling him you love him and asking him to forgive your sins. And be sure he does. For Father, your Father in heaven is merciful. Congregation, in the young lives, children feel that they are part of God's family. They enjoy and believe naturally what you tell them about God, and they accept 
And they also will say, God is great and God is good. And also that he is sad when you do wrong. Now, little children, they grow up and they become the youth in the church. It's a time of life in which young people become aware of what's all going on in the world around them. And they get their own minds. They more and more show responsibility in facing the challenges of life. And the youth also see and experience what David expressed in Psalm 5, the deception and the wickedness around them. And because of the development, the, the developing sense of righteousness with them, life can be confusing to the youth. And they struggle with fairness. They want to have a better world. And they go for a better world. They learn how to discuss and especially how to debate the issues of life. Young people also become aware of the different views on how and why things exist and why all things happen. But often... They can't make sense of all that goes on. And doubt arises on what they have learned from parents and in church or in school. And they start to question, is God indeed great? Is God indeed good? And they say, look, look at all the sufferings and turmoil in the world. And look what science concludes on the basis of the evidence of research. You see, this, the youth seek for solutions. At a certain point, they can start wondering, am I losing faith? Or they wonder, is God real? Is he so great and good as I thought when I was a child? Oh, wish that God would speak directly to me. And then our prayer and encouragement is that through the work of God's Spirit, the youth come to see that the truth of faith is not seen on the basis of human observations, and neither can it be concluded by their logic but they need, like a child, like they did as a child, they need to humbly accept God's holy word on what he says about creation, their creation, and about life under God's judgment. When the struggle of youth, beloved, when the struggle of youth is over, then we settle as adults in church. But how? Do we then enjoy, really enjoy God's greatness and goodness, showing love and humility in the age of Christ? 
You know that after the fall into sin, God didn't give us visible mask to wear. Now today, we have one because of the coronavirus. But actually, in one sense, we always have worn a mask. And one could call that mask the mask of a sinful nature. If, for example, we are caught having something done wrong, we are quick to give an excuse. Oh, oh. You know, I am human too. And swiftly we turn to the business at hand, hiding our weaknesses and intentions. Yes, brothers and sisters, it's deeply rooted in you and in me. We are guilty before our majestic and great God. Think of character weaknesses, giving in to sinful desires, not being open and honest to one another, saying one thing or thinking one thing and saying the opposite or doing the opposite. To express what our real intentions are is hard. We keep our lies and deception behind our mask. For we, we don't want to face the music. True, we want to live a sanctified life. But with Paul, we need to say that we have a soiled life because of sin. Can we now excuse ourselves by saying that's who we are? We are merely human? You know, basically, actually, we are not that bad. But brothers and sisters, Lord, they four wants to make us say there is nothing like guiltless guilt. Nothing in this world exists like guiltless guilt. Here, the crucial point is not immediately how our nature, how our situation is after what had happened in paradise, but the crucial point is how our life started. Where and how did our history begin? Beloved, it started with God. As we have read, our beginning marks us with God's image. How beautiful, great, and powerful we are made. The truth of Genesis 1 makes our eyes raise and our mouths open in praise to our majestic God. Like David did in Psalm 8. We did it this afternoon also. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, God's greatness and goodness are for everyone on display. True, young people, brothers and sisters, if you want to see the work of the Creator, please open your eyes and you will observe everywhere the imprint of your great God in His majestic handiwork. 
No one actually has an excuse to deny that. There is no such thing as someone who had, can say had never heard of the glory of God. All around us, creation speaks eloquently of its creator. Man, so intricately built with his complex senses of eyes and ears, taste, feel, speech, and all that then connected to the process center of his brain. Note, before Genesis 3, man was even more beautiful. It was all pure. For man was righteous, showing full allegiance to God and fellow man. And God took great pleasure in man. God wanted us to take pleasure in him, to enjoy him. He appointed us to be Lord and master of all that he had made. You see, God, our God, gave his full allegiance to man in order that man would be totally loyal to him. Now, shouldn't we be homesick for that pure life? It could well be, beloved, that we are so accustomed to our sinful life that we ignore our pre-fall life in paradise. However, God tells us about his life and we need to accept and believe it like little children do when we tell them that God made man without any weakness. God is great and God is good. God created man so that he perfectly could do God's will in all respects. To enjoy the life of God to its full extent with contentment. In all that our majestic God did for man in paradise, he showed his divine reliability. God showed that even by placing a stop sign at the test tree in paradise. And so man knew very well, he knew full well, where he was up to with God. Man also had received all the means and capabilities, how intricately he was created. He received all the capability to please the magnificent God and to steer free from the test tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, however, man placed his life on collision course with God. Ignoring God's stop sign, he rolled through it and caused man's total loss. Now we, especially the youth, but we also, we all are inclined to analyze that crash in paradise. We know that the devil is involved, Satan, God's opponent. Now how did he get there? And we ask, why did, actually, why did man even approach that tree? 
You didn't have any business there. And why did Adam let Eve sit in the driver's seat, steering their life to death at that tree? And then, you know, catechism students, only them, but catechism students are prone to ask, uh, uh, couldn't God have stopped? Here, at this point of the question, we should immediately intervene. The understanding that reaction to find excuses or mitigating circumstances. Yet we need to stop such questioning immediately. Our response needs to be, how did God make man? How did he make us? What does Genesis 1 say? What did your parents tell you? But you already have heard that God had given them responsibilities, including being loyal and reliable to their maker and to be obedient to him. O congregation, I repeat this crucial point. Do not reason from sinful man's position in which he landed after the disobedience in paradise. You need, we need to look at a time when God and man were equally reliable. Now, God remained in that state. Man didn't. Man gave it up. Man lost it by choosing the devil's side and giving up his purity and righteousness. Man became wicked, as Scripture describes in Psalm 5. In the verses 4 to 6, we, we saw man's nature is identified as an evildoer. He has become boastful, a speaker of lies. A man is a, a, man is a copier of the devil. He's bloodthirsty, a murderer. Fraudulous, deceitful. Here, Scripture depicts the consequences of God's punishment on man's disobedience in paradise. All that evil, beloved, is still raging around us. Murders, riots, looting, political chaos, calling names, compromising attitudes. God's judgment on man's disobedience was severe. Man's righteousness turned into unrighteousness. And since the fall, man is prone to show prejudice and hatred. Verse 9 even states the worst con consequence. Man's throat has become an open grave. Around us, death rules. Well, would we now expect that a righteous God would go along with man's evil and biases? That he should reduce his demands? Forgo punishment? 
or diminish his divine requirements? If that would happen, it would make our magnificent God into a weakling. It would make God also into a liar. Then God himself would not be reliable anymore. Not keeping his word. Actually, if God would have ignored man's sin, he wouldn't be God. And if God wouldn't have kept his demands, the devil in hell would have been victorious. Beloved, that is immediately very clear at the beginning of our catechism uh, that um, man is unreliable. God stayed reliable. And that is our life. Being the majestic and righteous God, being just in all circumstances, God will execute keeping his word and succumb so with punishment as he had already announced in paradise. The Halber Catechism points to the everlasting punishment of body and soul. And that's what we read, for example, in 1 John 5, verse 19 that the world lies now under the rule of the evil one till today. And that's for our believing eye, very obvious. Already I mentioned, indicated that life around us is a great mess. The world is in great trouble. But just think of the pandemic. Many look at it as being caused by a virus tiny microbe. But we know that COVID-19 belongs to God's temporal judgment on the earth. Punishments now, judgments on the earth. Now we as God's children suffer too under God's judgment. We are not free from the consequences of sin. Like David expresses in Psalm 5, we too are burdened by troubles of life as nasty thorns and thistles, as already announced in Paradise. But the punishment, God's punishment on Adam, we suffer because of the nasty thorns and thistles of life, strangling us in this world. What's our answer to that? The answer should be, but we are baptized. That means, and that should mean a lot to us as God's people. We may be surrounded by many evils and enemies, sin and guilt included, by the truth of the gospel confirmed in our baptism that is. Yes, God's truth is. Over against all the evil and troubles, God's truth is salvation belongs to him. He kept his word, and he still does still today, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He, Jesus, is our righteousness. Jesus is our life. And beloved, through God's mercy, Lord's Day 4, 
gets there for a joyful tune with us. As David did, so do we now praise our majestic, our reliable, our merciful God. And we do so with Psalm 145, verse 1. I exalt you, O my God and King, and bless your name forever as I sing. And verse 3. You show to all your goodness and grace. You all, all, you all your creature in your love embrace. Stanza four, stanza five. The Lord, the Lord is just and kind in all his ways. He, in his deeds, his steadfast love displays. Amen.